Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's on the podcast for today. Oh, this carousel is starting to make me feel a little queasy. The good news of the vaccine and the bad news of the squabbling between Doug Ford and the federal government. Let's get to it. Baby Moderna, you cheeky, cheeky so-and-so coming through right before Christmas. Yeah, baby, love it, I love it. Yeah, get us some more vaccines. Oh, bring it. Bring that sweet, sweet, closer to room temperature love. Bring it right over here. I am no longer in your thrall, ice cold shoulder Pfizer. No, I have options now. So exciting. Officials have said that they expect doses of this Moderna vaccine just approved this morning to arrive in Canada within 48 hours. 48 hours is almost as good as Amazon. Canada has inked a deal to get 168,000 of the doses of the vaccine by the end of December. Unlike the Pfizer that I just mentioned... That super ice-cold COVID vaccine, which has those strict cold chain requirements. That's what they call it. you got to have the special freezer. Oh, we don't need that anymore, man. Wow. You, can keep, you can keep those big freezers. Actually, don't keep them. We need them because we have Pfizer. We need all the vaccine we can get. But what this means, of course, is that now we have Moderna's shot and it can just be in a freezer, just your regular old freezer there. Where's your Frigidaire? I'll just put this in here. Just put these vaccines over here. And it means that we can actually go into remote communities. We can get into indigenous communities. We can get into long-term care right into the homes itself. It's exciting. And you can file that under the good news. And it's it's great. It is. It's wonderful. And what a Christmas gift. Eileen DeVilla, the medical officer of health for Toronto, saying this was a, it's a Christmas gift, and absolutely, it's fantastic. We get to tear into it. It's like when, you, you know, when you're a kid, and they say, well, you, you can open one of these presents before Christmas. And you're like, wow! Yeah! That's great. But the more I think about it, the more I, I come to realize that living in Ontario and you know, dealing with the pandemic. You know, some people talk about it. It's like a Groundhog Day, just over and over again, the sameness of it. It's not that. I've realized now what it's like. It's like being on the carousel at the fun fair. Yeah, that's right. You get up on the painted pony. You pick the one you want. I'll take the stallion. Thank you very much. I don't know who picks the bench. Who decides the bench is where I want to sit? But anyway, you get on the horse, and it goes up and down as you go around and around. And really, I think in many ways that that is really what the pandemic has been like here in Ontario. Because you you get these ups, like, whoa, vaccine, that's a big up. And then you get the downs, where you have the squabbling. Between the medical officials on one side, the hospital association, the doctors and the business people, and in the middle is Doug Ford and his government trying to chart some kind of a course. And we're all tired and we we need better communication. And, you know, we just, we have this fatigue. And that's the down. And eventually you just come back around again and you start seeing the same scenery over and over again like you're Fred Flintstone. 
you know, and, and the, the, the same background just keeps going past again and again and again. So the, if the up today on the carousel of COVID is Moderna, and that's a big up, then the down, the low, is this ongoing fight, escalating fight now, between Ontario and the federal government over what's happening at Pearson Airport. Keep in mind, this is just after Doug Ford makes his announcement about the fact that the lockdown's not coming into place until the 26th, and there's all kinds of hue and cry over that from medical officials say that's not a good idea, it's going to be more deaths, and we're kind of giving people permission to just go out and do whatever they want up until Christmas. And before Doug Ford would even address any of those questions about the timing and about whether or not we need a more strict lockdown or whether we don't need a lockdown at all, because, I mean, that's the contention from Ottawa, saying, what are you doing with us? Our numbers are low. But even before he addresses any of that stuff, Doug Ford goes off preemptively, again, over the fact that he believes passengers, travelers, are coming into Pearson, and they're just going out into the community and spreading COVID, and what's even scarier is maybe they have this new strain. Here's Doug Ford. This is absolutely critical right now. We have over 60,000 international passengers coming into Pearson Airport every week with minimal checks uh, in in place right now. And uh, as we all know, with this uh, deadly new strain of of COVID-19 spreading around the world at an alarming rate, but there's just not enough to, to protect us from, from the threats coming uh, in from outside at our borders on, on a daily basis. So with, without further action by the federal government at our borders, uh, we remain at extreme risk right now. Okay, that, that, that is scary sounding. That is not, that, that's the horse on the way down is what that is. So, can I get off this carousel? What do you mean? I'm still, I can't get off. Now that I'm on, I can't get off. It's like Hotel California. I can check on any time, but I can never leave. Here's Bill Blair, the federal minister, with his response to Doug Ford. And I want to advise you that these mandatory quarantine measures put in place by the Public Health Agency of Canada have been effective. COVID-19 cases related to international travel currently account for only 1.8% of all cases. That means 98.2% of COVID transmissions are a result of community transmissions, not international travel. That is Bill Blair. Do I think that international travel is a problem and that there is leakage at the airport and not enough is being done? Absolutely. I think everybody realizes that more needs to be done. Quebec has also now said that they've joined in the call from Doug Ford for more measures to be implemented by the federal government, especially with this new strain that we're all very, very concerned about that has prompted the suspension of flights from the UK for 72 hours because of this new strain of coronavirus that appears to be more contagious. But by Ontario's own admission, by by its own data that it put out this week, travel amounts for a very small amount of community spread, of infection. The majority of it is because of close contact, because of what people are doing in their homes. It's also because of people working in warehouses at 
Costco or at Walmart or Amazon. Frontline, and I, I don't mean to uh, single those companies out, but they all have had COVID outbreaks either in stores or warehouses. And so we know that's a problem. And so we know that people living in close quarters is a problem. We know that people not feeling like they have an option other than to go to work, we know that is a problem. But the rant we get is about what's happening at the airport. And I want to play this for you. Remember what Doug Ford was just saying about how frightening and this new strain was and how at risk we are? Man, scary stuff. Moments after he says this, the Associate Medical Officer of Health for this province, Dr. Barbara Yaffe, had this to say about the new strain. And those, that's how the virus latches onto the human cells and enters. So uh, there's been a significant mutation in the spike protein that is making it more efficient for the virus to get into the human cell. So that's uh, the theory of why it, it, we believe that it's more in, uh, transmissible, it's more easily spread between people. Uh, at this point, there's no evidence to say that the illness it causes is any more severe or any different. And there's no evidence that our vaccines uh, would be any less effective, as in our vaccines would work against this mutation as well. Uh, and the good news is we don't have any evidence of this mutant strain in Ontario at this point. Um, the- that is Barbara Yaffe speaking yesterday. Is this new mutation a concern? Yes, absolutely. Is travel a concern in what people are doing coming back into Pearson? A hundred percent. Yes, but square what you heard from the doctor with what you heard from Doug Ford and with what you know about where the transmission is and then ask yourself a hard question about why is it that Doug Ford seems to be intent and insistent on this being the number one issue right now for his government because that's certainly what I took away from what he had to say on Tuesday and on Monday. I'll let you decide. I want to dig into my uh, mailbox real quick before I take a break because I get email. I get email and I I get messages. People call me. They write to me. Uh, By the way, if you would like to write to me to my email, it's alan, A-L-A-N dot Carter at globalnews.ca. And I love this one. Shane writes me. And I'm going to have, Shane gets a bit salty here. I'm going to have to replace some of the things that Shane had to say uh, with my own version. So uh, here it goes. Shane writes, quote, you are a effing terrific journalist and broadcaster. That starts well. But you're no effing comedian. If I want to hear something funny at noon, I'll watch Dave Chappelle. Be a Walter Cronkite or a Hunter S. Thompson. Stick with the F-bombing news and let the comedians do their shizzle. Well, that escalated quickly. All right. Okay. Fine. I mean, I'm in here by myself in a closet in the basement of an industrial building in Don Mills. If I'm telling jokes, trust me, it is only to amuse myself. But here is the postscript. Uh, Shane writes further, and I just love this. This really brings it home to me. By the way, if you're ever passing out through Brighton Way, let me know. I'd be happy to buy you lunch and a drink. <laughs> so, so, isn't 
that say something about about the way we all communicate? I think it says something about Ontarians and Canadians. Like, I'm going to disagree with you, and I'll tell you how it is, and I'm going to use some pretty salty language about it. But if you're out heading out my way, come on by. I'll buy you a drink and some lunch. <laughs> Thanks, Shane. Appreciate you writing. If you'd like to write to me, alan.carter at globalnews.ca. If you're under the age of 50 and think to yourself, I don't know what this email thing is, uh, my DMs are open at A. Carter Global on Twitter. Uh, if you are under 30 and you're listening to me right now, uh, DM me right away and I'll send the police to get you sprung from wherever you're being held against your will. The big news today is the approval by Health Canada of the Moderna vaccine and it is expected that the first doses will start arriving in Canada within 48 hours and that means that needles are going into arms and we're getting closer to really tough decisions about who is first and who should be getting it. Obviously, with the Pfizer vaccine, it had a requirement for super cold storage. And that's why, for example, in the province of Ontario, we were not going into long-term care. Instead, we were having frontline workers come to hospitals and to settings that had those super cold freezers so that they could get the vaccine there. Now that we have the Moderna vaccine, we have more choices. And the choices are going to be increasingly complicated. You may know that in the UK, they decided that the first vaccines were going to go to the elderly population, to seniors. In Florida, the governor of Florida has said that the vaccines will go to seniors first. And even when asked, did that mean, you know, for example, could a snowbird, could someone who lived half of their year down in Florida and then half of their year here, could they go down to Florida and get a vaccine in Florida because they're a senior, whereas perhaps they wouldn't get one here because they've decided here that it's the frontline workers first. So the question for you at 416-870-6400 is seniors or frontline healthcare workers, what makes the most sense to you if you were on the command table advising Doug Ford? Where would you say, Doug, this is where you need to point the needle to the seniors? Or the frontline healthcare workers, those that are going into LTCs, those who are in emergency rooms, who are in hospitals. Bob is in Queensville. What do you think, Bob? Where should we go first? Honestly, I believe it should go to the frontline workers first for the plain and simple reason. They're going into these homes, into the hospitals, and they're leaving the hospitals, and they're coming back the next day. And if they do happen to come in contact with the person, say, yesterday, and then they go into one of the long-term care centers today, they're going to be spreading it. Yeah, exactly, Bob. That's a great point. And thanks, Bob. I appreciate it. So that's a that's a vote for the frontline healthcare workers. I mean, you can see how quickly, you know, one frontline healthcare worker going from home to home would be a problem. But remember, that's not happening anymore. We haven't st- we've stopped that. And supposedly we have safeguards in place, but we, we've seen that the iron ring is failing around LTCs. So there's a vote for frontline workers. Let's go to Frank in Toronto, who has a different perspective. Hi, Frank. Hi, Alan. Uh, I personally think uh, in the circumstances, we've got to look at the stats. And the stats are quite clear that most of the people that have died from COVID 
are those in the long-term care homes or in the nursing homes. The reason why I think they should be priorities uh, in terms of uh, uh, in connection with and compared to, say, uh, the health care workers is such that if the health care workers do get the vaccination themselves, it doesn't prevent them from transmitting the disease to the, to the elderly in these nursing homes because they're not certain yet at this point of whether or not they can still carry the virus with the vaccination in their nasal cavities. So I, I think it should go directly first to those uh, uh, elderly people who are at higher risk. Okay, thanks, Frank. So that, that's uh, Frank saying that it should go to those that are uh, most at risk, and that has been the argument of the uh, governor in Florida, is that the outcomes for those, you know, under 50, those that are under 40, you know, much, much better, and those that are in, you know, senior years, advanced age, that the outcomes, it is much, much riskier. It is a much, much more dangerous proposition for someone who is 70 and above to get COVID. Let's go to David on line four. What do you think we should be putting those vaccines first? Where should we be jabbing the arms? Seniors or frontline healthcare workers? Seniors, it shouldn't even be a question. They're at the most risk of dying. Everyone else is enjoying a 99.7 recovery rate. So I don't understand how this could even be a question. But in in the province of Ontario, we have decided that it will go to frontline healthcare workers. That's what we've chosen here. Well, we've chosen stupidly because we need to be giving it to people who are most at risk of dying. All right. Thanks, David. Let's get to uh, line three. Uh, this call from uh, Toronto. Who's on the line? Hello. Hey, is this Derek? Yes, Denrick. I- Denrick, my apologies. Denrick, uh, you, you're voting for not for the seniors? You're, you're going the other way? Yes, I'm going front line because I, I think that makes more sense. Because why, why does that make more sense? Because you, you, you've heard from our last two callers who say that the outcomes are so much worse for seniors, so it doesn't make sense. How do you respond to that? Well, a lot of seniors are um, stabilized, right? They're, they're in a room by themselves sometimes. Frontline workers have um, many contacts with different individuals, and those who are applying the service cannot be um, vulnerable. They have to be the ones that are you know, well-equipped so that when they go to uh, deal with other people that they're well, you know, that's what I think. Thanks, Denrick. Appreciate it. All right. Th- th- you heard what Denrick had to say. I think i got time for one more call. Zeke is calling in for Brampton. I'm just going to guess, Zeke, that you're going to disagree with our last caller. Oh, definitely. We definitely need the, uh, the older population vaccinated first. I mean, those are the people that we're trying to protect, right, with this whole lockdown thing. So I don't see why we wouldn't... Uh, Give them the vaccination first. But even even though the, the argument had been uh, and has been, as we've heard uh, from General Hillier here in Ontario, that it, you know, first of all, there was the logistics. That we can't go into uh, long-term care home. But now we have the Moderna. But still, the choice here is uh, that if, if we can inoculate and protect those that care for seniors, that that is a better way to protect them in the early going when we don't have that many doses. I, I don't really think that's right because, I mean, like, like you said, the older population is the population that's, that's at a higher risk. And not, not only, like, risk of life, it's just mental as well, you know what I mean? I, like, they've been locked up for so long, been told to stay away for so long, like, can we make the rest of these people's lives a little bit better? Thanks, Zeke. I really appreciate your call. Thank, Thank you. you to everyone who uh, got on the old horn. 
picked up the phone. Yeah, that's what that thing is in your pocket. Oh, my goodness, that thing is a phone, too. I can call people. How about that? When we come back, an important story, the widow of an NHL player with an important message for you if you think heading into the holidays that COVID is no big deal, if you think it doesn't apply to you. Canada Post tracking, refresh, refresh, refresh. Is that what you're doing right now? Are you thinking, "Mm, boy, if it doesn't show up today, oh boy, we're cutting it close. Everybody we're looking for those parcels to show up just in time for Christmas. Here's my recommendation. Start working on your artwork. Start working on your drawing skills because this is what I this is what you need to do. This is what I was prepared to do until a parcel showed up thankfully on Monday. Oh my goodness. Is you just you you get yourself a blank card and then you do your very best at drawing or painting whatever the thing is that they're eventually going to get. And you hope, and what you hope is that they appreciate the painting so much that they're not disappointed that they don't have something real to open under the tree. Now, if it's a child, they're going to throw it at you. And I think you're just going to have to face that. That's just the way it goes. (sighs) Refresh, refresh refresh. Oh, as I'm looking at that, this is just in. Doug Ford says Ottawa has allocated 53,000 doses of Moderna, 53,000 doses of Moderna this month to Ontario. And guess what he calls it? Anybody want to guess? Anybody want to guess? Uh, is it an absolute champion? That's close. Nope. Is it a bunch of yahoos? Nope. Not close. No, you're getting colder. Is it a game changer? Oh, tell him what he's won. So there you go. That's good news. Good news. Good news. Hey, here's what I want to talk about is I want to talk about Christmas and what you're going to do over the holidays. Have you changed your plans? Do you think that maybe this whole COVID malarkey doesn't apply to you? Well, Emily Cave wants you to take COVID seriously. The wife of Edmonton Oilers Center, Colby Cave, who died in April after suffering a brain bleed, wants you to know how the pandemic is impacting people like her, people who can't say a final goodbye to their loved ones. Quote, my 25-year-old husband died alone, Emily Cave wrote on Instagram back in November. I have no clue what his last breath was like. I have yet to be able to have a funeral because of this global pandemic. So for goodness sake, wear a mask. Wash your freaking hands. And it's not the end of the world if you can't go to house parties or do things that are essentially a luxury in your blessed world. Emily Cave spoke over the weekend from Edmonton to our reporter, Catherine Ward. Here's that story. You're everything I can imagine and more in a wife, and I cannot believe that I get to marry you. In April, Emily Cave was blissfully in love. The newlywed of nine months was building a life with her soulmate, Colby Cave, a hockey player signed to the Edmonton Oilers. Always lived life to the fullest, so he would just grab me or dance with me in the kitchen. The pair had recently come back to quarantine in Barrie, Ontario, as the pandemic brought the world to a halt. The hockey season had ended, 
But one night, time froze for Emily, and her life would never be the same. 11.06, I remember it exactly. He started complaining of a headache, um, and Cole was like the epitome of health. Overnight, his condition got worse. By morning, Colby was taken to the local emergency room. I put my hand on his face um, to see if he had fever. He was really cold, so I took his temperature, and he was actually hypothermic. The 25-year-old was airlifted to Sunnybrook Hospital and rushed to surgery, where doctors discovered a brain bleed. In those 14 hours, I found out he wasn't going to make it. But the most difficult news for Emily was that COVID-19 restrictions at the time prevented her from staying by Colby's side in the ICU. I did get to see him behind a glass again um, and talk to him on a walkie-talkie. Again, couldn't touch him or anything. And after that, I wasn't allowed in. I understood uh, that the doctors and critical care had to follow protocol, but... It was inhumane. Emily was notified by phone when Colby died on April 11th. The distance forced upon the couple by the pandemic has been a difficult burden to carry. The thought that he died alone um, just makes me sick to my stomach every day. Emily says she hopes other people realize by taking precautions to help limit the spread of COVID-19, loved ones will have a better chance to say their goodbyes in person even for people not infected by the virus. You not being allowed to be with them as they take their last breaths because of restrictions or because people can't listen to rules. I just want people to, like, wake up. Catherine Ward, Global News. That was Emily Cave speaking with our reporter, Catherine Ward. Smarten up. That's the message. It's not just those... With COVID, as we see the numbers go up, hospitals are straining, ICUs are full, people who need treatment for other kinds of conditions are being turned away, they're having a harder time getting into the hospitals, and then you have situations like the tragedy in Edmonton, what happened to Colby Cave, and the fact that his wife couldn't be there with him. And so... When you start thinking about what you're going to do on Christmas, who you're going to see, whether or not it is absolutely required that you get together with this relative or that relative, I think I would like you to think about Emily Cave. And I would like you to think about her strength, her resilience, and her message. Smarten up. It's in your power. Do the right thing. You know what you should do. You know what the rules are. Do the right thing. I want to finish with this story. This is from The Guardian. And I'm going to try to get through this one and not get fired. Let's see if we can do this. Let's just... Let's just see if I can make it out here. Oh my God, like a couple minutes. Here we go. Okay. The Guardian. This is a report out of The Guardian in the UK where researchers have long noticed the differences in birth rates at various times of the year. But whether this is the result of seasonal fluctuations in fertility or sexual activity, you know, that that's not really clear. So researchers went out and they got data taken from an app called Clue. I believe is what it's called. And what it is, 
Uh, it's a women's health app, and it contains anonymous sexual activity logs entered by women, uh, by half a million women in the United Kingdom, France, Brazil, and the United States. And here's what those activity logs show. That the t- three days leading up to Christmas represent an absolute no-go zone for many women. Now you just think about that for a moment. Is there anything that takes away the mood more than the lead-up to Christmas? Just think about that for a moment. Now here's the good news. Things improved once Christmas arrived, with Clue users reporting a sustained surge in sexual activity that lasted from Boxing Day until the New Year. So just like the pandemic... We just got to get through the next little while. And then after that, oh my goodness, yeah! That's the podcast for today. Don't forget, The Alan Carter Show, weekdays, starting at noon.